to the Smart Connector podcast, which looks at the power of connection in business and life. Featuring solo episodes as well as a range of exciting interviews with entrepreneurs across multiple sectors, we offer tips and advice to build your impact, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons, and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. This interview features Dan McGaw, founder and CEO of marketing tech consulting firm McGaw.io and UTM.io, a marketing analytics software service. Dan's an award-winning entrepreneur with over 20 years of experience or even longer considering he started at the tender age of four in marketing technology and analytics. He was formerly the head of marketing at Kissmetrics and head of growth at Codeschool.com, a tech skills education platform which was then acquired by Pluralsight. Coined as one of the original growth hackers, Dan is one of the godfathers of marketing technology and in this role he's helped thousands of businesses succeed. Welcome to the Smart Connector podcast. I have a very exciting guest for you today, Dan McGaw. Welcome, Dan. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. So, Dan, you're a marketing technology specialist, and really marketing is a lot about technology these days, isn't it? We're going to get right into it. So let's talk about that as a topic. So, yeah, where did you start getting interested in this topic? Have have you been into it for decades or when did you begin? Yeah, no, it definitely has been decades now. So I've been at this for over 20 years. So I've always been into tech. So I mean, at four years old, I was on computers and learning MS-DOS so I could play games. So I've always been super, super big into technology in general. That being said, I really did get into marketing technology back in 1998. So I was sending mass emails since before there was even mass email. So before there was even like a huge like industry of marketing technology and MarTech, I was heavily involved with it even before it started. So I've just kind of have grown up in it. So it's what I know, it's what I love, and it's what I do best. Yeah, so that's a very, very early start. So were your parents uh, into technology or was this just something that was just a runaway interest for you as a kid? Yeah, no, my mom was actually, uh, when I was four years old, she was going to school for computer science. She had a brand new IBM personal home computer. And we're talking, this was back in like the late 88. So I got very, very lucky that I had that, I had access to a really nice computer at that point and really got spun up. So yeah, so no looking back from there. So how did this evolve into a career for you? Did you decide to go down the conventional education route and actually study something like computer science? Or did you just flip straight into entrepreneurship? Uh, How did it evolve? Yeah, I definitely did not do the traditional route. So I started my first company when I was 13 years old. So I started an online booking agency for electronic dance music for DJs, producers and things like that. Don't ask me how, but at 13, I got into the rave industry and I was like, hey, listen, we're going to do something (laughs) with this. Either way, I started that company and I ran that company for the next six years. Uh, it ultimately failed in 2000, excuse me, when I was 19. But, you know, we had a great ride. We had a lot of fun with it. So I've always just been an, an entrepreneur and a hustler. I didn't really know that at the time when I was doing it. You know, I didn't really dawn on me that I'm an entrepreneur until probably about, I'd say about 10 or 15 years ago. You know, I kept starting companies, but I didn't really know what the term entrepreneur meant. And I wasn't like really familiar with it. I was just some stupid kid. And, you know, probably about 15 years ago, I realized that like, hey, listen, like 
I always struggle to have just a job, right? I always struggle to just have a career. So, but I totally always started businesses. So I, I actually in high school barely went to school. I missed close to 45% of the days while in high school because I was running my company. I've attempted to go to college on three or four different occasions. And, you know, it just hasn't been the environment for me to learn. I'm really big about learning by doing. I'm really, when I'm interested in a subject, I want to learn everything about it. So I'm a voracious reader. So, I mean, last year I read over 40 books. This year I'm a little bit slower than that. I'm only 15 right now. But I'm not a big person of like sitting in a classroom and listening and then doing a test. I'd rather just go fail in the real world. Mm -hmm. So the traditional path was definitely not for me. You really are a classic entrepreneur, almost like a born entrepreneur from the sounds of things. Did yeah, you, for sure. Yeah. So, so did you, I know obviously you mentioned your mother, but did you actually grow up in an entrepreneurial environment or, or an entrepreneurial area? Or is this just, was it something that you just thought, I want to do this and I'll do it? Just interested yeah. in where the influences came from. Yeah, no, you know, I definitely did not grow in an entrepreneurial family. I grew up, my mom, I, I had a single mom. It was just the two of us. And I grew up really, really poor. So I was on welfare, food stamps and all those things from my childhood. But very luckily, my grandfather is extremely smart. He worked on the Hubble Space Telescope. He was one of the optical engineers that helped design it. And, you know, having that somebody of that stature in our family, who also was pretty wealthy, really helped out. So my grandparents fortunately sent me to a really, really nice prep school, one of the nicest schools in the city. It was very, very expensive. But I had to live in the dichotomy of, hey, you know what? I go home. I'm super, super poor. Like, we don't even have enough money to do laundry, right? I wear a dirty shirt three days in a row to go to school. But then the kids I go to school with, their parents are super wealthy millionaires and mm. at a totally different level. So I just realized really, really quickly, there's the haves and the have nots. And mm. I made a decision at a young age because I was getting bullied and picked on for being poor that I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change that. And I understood to do that. But growing up in the ghetto, you didn't really have the means to really do anything about it by getting a job, especially when you're like 10 years old, right? So I just uh, started hustling in any way that I could to make money. And sometimes I would be like selling things or buying things and then reselling them and stuff like that. So it was just something that I kind of happened to get into because I wanted to make money. And I've always been very, very motivated by uh, money and as well as being able to build wealth. So I I, I think it would just be a natural thing. I think the problem with me in in a career, though, where I have run into problems is sometimes that, you know, at many companies I've worked in, I've had a lot of respect for my leaders, but I've also maybe have butted heads and been like, I think that there's a better way to do this and then been roadblocked with being able to do that. So I've always wanted to go my own way and have more control of the situation. So that's, I mean, part of the reason why I'm an entrepreneur is because I, I really want to be able to build something and I get gratification off of building that. Yeah. And of course, being in those big corporate organizations, a lot of it is about politicking, isn't it? It's about covering your back. It's about stuff that is not really to do with with just getting on with it and getting results, is it? Is it? So, yeah, yeah, I can no, understand. definitely a lot of politics. I don't yeah. do well in political environments. And that's something at our companies now. So between Magal.io and UTM.io, we really try to make sure that there is no ability to have politicking. We really do try to force uh, away from that. And we have a very, very different culture here than you would find at most other companies. So we lack politics. We're pretty direct. We're going to tell you the truth, whether you like it or not. Yeah, that sounds great. So which, where are you right now? I know you obviously you're in the US. Where did you grow up and where are you now? And why are you where you are now? 
Yeah. Well, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So up north, northeast, nice cold place. Wasn't It wasn't a bad place to grow up or anything like that. Just wasn't a great place to have a tech company at the time. So I was going to come down to Florida and actually go to college at a place called Full Sail for the music business uh, degree that they had. But once I got here and I started doing more to move in and like get prepped for the program, I found out that the program just wasn't for me. I already had enough music business experience. It wasn't going to be a good investment. So I moved to Orlando, Florida to go to school here. And then I was like, hey, listen, I'm not going to go to school. And I wound up just never leaving. So I've been in Orlando, Florida for about, I mean, almost 20 years now. So I mean, I think it's like 17 years or something like that. I mean, Orlando's a, a great place. I mean, naturally, everybody knows about us for Disney World. Yeah. Um, but Disney World is is 40 minutes away from downtown. So like, it's its own city. Downtown Orlando is a beautiful place. Really, really nice. It's a great place to raise a family. The cost of living is great as well. So yeah, I've, I've been here for a long time. It's not my favorite place in America, but you know, it's good <laughs> enough for now. Where is your favorite place in America? Yeah, probably. It's probably a toss up between cities like San Francisco, New York, Boston, Chicago, even Austin. Yeah. Being from Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is a much bigger city than Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, Orlando is pretty small overall. I really do like big cities with a lot of movement, a lot of hustle and bustle. And we yeah. just don't really have that here in Orlando. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about where you went after your teens, because you're already a seasoned entrepreneur by the time you hit the age of 20, right? So what happened after that? Yeah. So, I mean, I came down to Florida, which was a lot of fun. I worked in the restaurant business for a little while. I worked in, I ran a very large restaurant out of Disney uh, called Raglan Road Irish Pub. I was their service manager and training manager. I mean, that's a pub that does 25 million a year. It's 25,000 square feet. It's a huge place. So that was definitely a lot of fun. I learned a lot of stuff while I was there. But, you know, while working there, I, I kind of followed the traditional career path of, hey, you start as a server, then you become a manager, and then you become the general manager, and then you become an owner. And, you know, the restaurant industry is great. And I love it. It's like where my passion is. But the lifestyle is just atrocious. So I just decided it wasn't for me. So I ended up leaving that company and starting another business, which was in nightlife promotions. So we were once again back with working with DJs, electronic dance music and stuff like that. But I had created a company called Untitled Management. And our responsibility was to basically work at nightclubs, we would do the promotions for a nightclub connect it with the DJ. But we'd also negotiate deals with the liquor vendors and as well as the nightclubs, we were able to collect money basically from everybody, uh, which worked out really, really well. We did that right after the financial crash for about two years, which was a lot of fun. Once again, nightlife at a certain point, the club industry it wears on you. It's not exactly a, a business you can raise a family with. So <clears throat> pivoted that and then turned that into a social media management company. I had that for a few years, um, but it was a lot of fun and did all that stuff. And then I, I, then I met my wife and we started having kids and stuff like that. And that's when I was like, listen, I've got to get a job for a little bit. I've got some kids. And you know, I, I had two amazing positions. One at CodeSchool.com, where I was the head of growth. I took them from basically forty thousand a month to four hundred thousand dollars a month in eighteen months, and then wow. twenty-four months after starting, they got acquired by Plural Site, a huge company, for thirty-six million. And then I, I left from Kissmetrics, or excuse me, CodeSchool, and then I went to become the head of marketing at Kissmetrics, which was one of the pioneers in marketing analytics. Neil Patel helped recruit me in, and then I was being hired to replace Neil Patel at Kissmetrics. And that was a ton of fun. That was a really, really good journey. And that, I mean, that was ultimately all of my 20s right there. And then opened my current company now, Maga.io, and it's been off to the races ever since. It was about seven years ago. So That's awesome. And for people that don't know of Neil, Neil Patel, he's basically one of the biggest marketing influences in the world, really, isn't he? I mean, he, everybody has heard of. In marketing, if you haven't heard of Neil Patel, it's like, where have you been? <laughs> so yeah, that, he's definitely yeah. the world's most popular digital marketer. Uh, yes. 
And he's a good dude. You know, you got to really know Neil to know what he's like. And, you know, Neil and I worked closely together when I was at Kissmetrics. I mean, he hired me and then I brought me in to replace him at the company, which was a lot of fun. But uh, he's definitely pretty well known, that's for sure. So that was an incredible achievement, taking revenues from 40000 to 400000 That is incredible. Yeah, um, a month. Now, a so month. like <laughs> a month, yeah, a month, yeah. So a lot of our viewers and listeners are going to want to know, how did that happen? How did you do that? That's amazing. We want to hear the secrets yeah. of scale. Yeah, you know, I can't take all the credit because, I mean, we really had an amazing product. We had really, really good courses. So Code School was an online education platform for developers. And most people have heard of Code Academy because Code Academy services basically the beginner's market and maybe up to intermediate. And Code School, we were really focused on the intermediate or advanced developers. So we were making really, really advanced courses and things like that about Ruby on Rails, JavaScript, a bunch of other things. And we had Google paying us to build courses for their products and GitHub paying us to build courses for their products. So can't take all the credit. Of course, the product was really good. We had a rock star team, so that was really good. But a lot of our growth, one, came from a bunch of different flywheels that we attempted to build in the product. Mm-hmm. So uh, a flywheel is ultimately something where when it, it, it is moving, right, when you build it, it naturally compounds on itself and then brings in more users. So the first yeah. flywheel that we started building is when somebody would come to the website, they would want to get access to the courses and be able to see the content. So we would always give the free or the first lesson away for free, which is great. So give us your email, you become a user, you sign up for your first lesson. Well, then what would happen is you would get to the end of the lesson and we'd be like, congratulations, you've reached the end of your lesson. You've been awarded this badge, right? So Rails for Zombies, badge one, whatever. And then there would be social share widgets at the bottom of that to share on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. Uh, And people would share that. They shared that at a really, really high rate on social media. And that was a flywheel that ended up, people got value from the product. They then would share that. And then other people would be witness to that on their social media. And then they'd be attracted to the product. Um, And that was one of the original flywheels that the company had built that was very, very successful. And what really kind of pushed us into the tipping point of really having a lot of growth is that we we identified that as a really powerful flywheel. So one of the things that we built was a referral program, which in essence, you could get instead of just getting a free lesson, one free lesson, when you would sign up, you would have the opportunity to get two free days of access to the entire platform. So in essence, a free trial. But what we did was, is we said, hey, you get two days, but if you give one of your friends two days for free and they accept, we'll give you two more days. So for every friend you invite, you get an additional two days, up to 30 days of the platform. That referral program took off like wildfire. So it basically doubled every single month in the amount of new people that came to the site. So um, that was really where a lot of our initial growth came from. And then after that, kind of really, really grew the business and really got us exposure. There's a lot of organic and word of mouth stuff and partnerships that really helped us get there. But that referral program really helped us push over the edge. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and affiliate programs are very, very powerful when it comes to tech marketing, aren't they? I, I you know, I, I have an affiliate program myself. It's only a small one, but I know I'm also an affiliate of some of the platforms that I use. And of course, what what's not to like? It's it, it's it's totally win win, isn't it? Because you're bringing your network, and you've worked hard to build that network, and you obviously believe in the product. If you're going to be an affiliate and subscribe to something, and you're a user, then I, I just you know I just love it. I I just love that whole thing of affiliates and partnerships. Amazing, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So after that, what came next? I know obviously we've you know we've just touched on it, but. Where did you go? What did you do? 
how did you build on that experience? Yeah, well, I mean, at Code School, I mean, it was it was a fantastic ride that we had there. You know, at Code School, we used Kissmetrics as our analytics product, and we, I mean, we were a big customer of theirs. I mean, I think our our bill was like six thousand dollars a month to Kissmetrics, so we were definitely a big account. So we used the crap out of Kissmetrics, but we wound up getting frustrated with the product, and we decided we were going to move to another analytics product called Mixpanel. And during that process, we had to to fire Kissmetrics, right? Make them aware that we're leaving. And during that process, Kissmetrics was introduced to me, of course, had to meet how we ran things at Code School. They really tried to resurrect our account, which to us was just impossible. We were ready to move. We were done with it. That introduction to Kissmetrics wound up actually getting me recruited to Kissmetrics, which was quite fascinating. So I think they spent three months trying to recruit me to be a customer success ambassador, which I was already a VP of growth at a, a fast growing company. So I was like, whatever, like this doesn't make any sense. But they wanted me to come to Kissmetrics to simply promote their product and help their customers be successful with it and kind of like be an ambassador. Yeah. Uh, and it was a great opportunity, but it was kind of a step back for me and what I was looking to do in my career. Uh, so they spent three months recruiting me and I ended up turning them down and saying, no, I'm not interested. To three months later, uh, I was still crushing it at Code School, doing a good job. They came back and they said, hey, listen, I think we have a different opportunity. We need a new director of marketing who's going to come in and kind of run marketing for us. And I said, well, I'm interested in that. Like, obviously, I'm a VP now. So taking director step backwards is not not exciting, but let's talk about it. And, you know, Kissmetrics did a lot to swoon me into that deal, which was really, really good. And I ended up rejecting it because there was a requirement to move to San Francisco. Code School is was based here in Orlando, and I had no intention of leaving Orlando. And they wanted me to move to San Francisco, but I just it just didn't make sense for my family. So I rejected yeah. the deal again to, to ultimately move to Kissmetrics. And, you know, they made the decision that they would be happy to have me as a remote employee, but I would have to fly to San Francisco for a week a month. Uh, and I would have to come to the office and I'd have to be there for board meetings and all that stuff. So I ended up accepting and leaving code school. And then I ended up being at Kissmetrics, running their marketing. I turned them into a, a rocket ship as well. We took them from 300,000 users a month on the blog to 600,000 users a month on the blog in about five months. We 3x the lead count from about 1,200 to 1,500 leads a month to like 5,000 leads a month in my first 90 days. So we did a lot of really, really cool things at Kissmetrics. But at the end of the day with Kissmetrics, it was a little bit of a shit show. I was a little shocked when I got in there. The product wasn't very good. The founders were a little, one of the founders was a little erratic and we just had some issues. So, you know, I was only there for about a year, but I decided it was the wrong business for me. It was the wrong team for me. And I decided to leave. And that's, I was running another company of mine uh, called Fuelsy, which is a venture-backed startup. I had been running that concurrently while also running Kissmetrics. Um, and my investors approved and stuff like that. But so I ran Fuelsy for a few months. And then ultimately, my wife said, your investors don't pay us enough money to make to buy Christmas presents and have a big Christmas. So I need you to do some consulting. <laughs> and that's uh, ultimately how Agal.io got started it was just an accident. I was supposed to make some money for Christmas presents was supposed to do consulting for six weeks. And it kind of spiraled out of control in the first three months, five months after kind of saying I was gonna do consulting, we had a full time staff of 12 people, we had an office, yeah. it was just kind of like, okay, we're doing this. So it was definitely really, really fascinating and fun to get going. And, you know, it's one of the best mistakes that's ever happened to me. So, you know, <laughs> and it we're here started, now, so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that, that's right. Did your kids get a good Christmas that year? Yeah, they got a really, really good Christmas that year. I, think. <laughs> I don't think there's ever been a bad Christmas for them. They've been very fortunate, right. especially compared to my childhood. So yeah. yeah, my kids, my wife does an amazing job and really takes care of the kids in that way. So, but uh, yeah, they had a great Christmas uh, for sure. 
Amazing. So let's get on to, well, there's two things really that I want to talk about. First of all, I want to talk about Magor, I, I, because that's a, it's very exciting what you're doing there. And I also want to talk a bit more about marketing technology, about metrics, about why metrics are so important, why uh, you could really get into that. So let's first of all, just uh, bring everybody up to date and let's talk about where you are now with, with your business. Yeah. So I own a company called Magal.io. We're a marketing technology and marketing analytics agency. So ultimately, we help companies with one of two problems. Either either you lack visibility into the customer journey and you need help with measurement so you can see that, or you lack the ability to convert those customers at a high enough rate and you need our ability to help you engage them and get them through the funnel. So it's a lot of helping companies choose tools, integrate those tools, then operate those tools, and then leverage their tech stack to grow their businesses. Um, So work with a lot of medium to large size companies. Don't get me wrong. We work with some small businesses from time to time, but typically we're working with medium sized companies that are spending a good penny on their marketing technology and have some struggles. Teams about 20 uh, full-time people right now with probably another 10 contractors on top of that. And then I also, we also own another company called UTM.io as well. And what is UTM? Yeah. So UTM is a SaaS product. So UTMs are the most popular tracking method on the internet, right? They're how we track all of our links. The, yeah. the data governance of those is really, really difficult. So um, a lot of companies use like a spreadsheet to kind of keep this organized. We've done that ourselves. So we ended up building a product that makes it so that large teams can really stay organized with all of their links, but you can make it so that anybody builds a link and they have no way to really mess it up. So really, really helpful tool, really helps kind of build things out for people. That, that company has three full-time employees at it. And we work with everybody from Shopify to Twitter to Unilever Brands. On, we, a lot of our customers are really, really big, but we also yeah. have a free product, which is completely badass and we'll never intend to charge for it. So it's really, really good for any small business to use as well, because you can use it for free. You don't have to pay us money. So it's just good. Yeah, that, that's amazing. So how would people uh, get their hands on that product? Yeah, if you just uh, go to utm.io, you'll be able to hit the domain and be able to sign up for free. Uh, super easy product to use, great onboarding to make sure that you know what's going on. So uh, really, really good stuff. Amazing. So Dan, let's let's really talk about marketing technology because this is really something that has become so important, hasn't it, over the last few years. Why do, I mean, I know it might sound like a, a fairly basic question, but for people who are not really in this world, why is it that tracking and metrics matter so much in marketing? Yeah, you know, I think in business in general, you can't you can't manage if you can't measure. So you really have to have good measurement to be able to effectively manage your business. And the same thing goes in marketing. You have to know what's working and what's not, right? But there's the old adage that like, I know 50% of my marketing is working. I just don't know which 50% it is, right? So, but in today's marketing, that's much, much, much different. If you have proper tracking, you're using UTMs on your links and you track the traffic coming into your website, and then you're using Google Analytics on your website as well, you're going to have pretty good, robust tracking to understand what's working and what's not. Because you need to know how people are using your website. You need to know, are my emails effective? Are my social media posts effective? Heck, even these podcasts, like I have to know, are these podcasts effective, right? And we use measurement and tracking to understand, is our investment paying off? Because obviously everything takes time and time is money. So you really mm-hmm. want to make sure that you have good measurement to track that. 
to make sure that you're set up. And you know, a lot of people probably have Google Analytics, but there's other tools that make it easier for the average marketer, things like hotjar.com, which are really, really helpful. Hotjar is a great tool for marketers to be able to use. Uh, more advanced products like Mixpanel or Amplitude, even Kissmetrics will really help give you a deeper view into the customer journey. Because Google Analytics doesn't tell you who is doing the actions. It just tells you what pages that are loading. These other tools will actually tell you not only like what's happening, but it will tell you who's doing it, which mm -hmm. is really, really helpful when you know like exactly what your customer is doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that that's really, really powerful. So are there, do you have personally have any, any favorite uh, tech tools, Dan, that you just say, you know what, I just love this thing? I have tons of them. I have tons okay, of Okay, let's hear about uh, it then. Yeah, so, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of different tools, a lot of different categories of tools, right? So there's definitely a ton out there, but I'll try to name off a few which are really good. And don't get me wrong, shameless plug in the fact of like UTM.io is my favorite UTM builder. But, you know, for email, I, send, I spend a lot of time in my, my inbox, right? I do a lot of Gmail and stuff like that. I have a lot of sales emails that I do. I have a lot of automations. I have a lot of templates, but I also have like calendar widgets and stuff like that. There's a product called MixMax, which is really, really good. So M-I-X-M-A-X.com, uh, which is a fantastic Gmail plugin. It is amazing. It crushes it. My team uses it. We, everybody in my company uses it. We pay about $29 per month per person who uses it. But the amount of efficiency that it offers us and the ability it gives us to schedule meetings with our clients very quickly and crisply in an email are just amazing. So Mixmax is one of my favorite for email. When it comes down to marketing automation, so like uh, the tool that helps us automate all of our marketing, Autopilot is one of my favorite. Their legacy product, Autopilot Journeys, which can no longer really be accessed, is by far my favorite marketing automation tool out there. They do have their new version of Autopilot, which is using a lot of artificial intelligence. I think that is an amazing product for small businesses because the yeah. AI in it actually will help write your emails. It will give you subject lines. It will tell you when you should send out an email. Like It's just super powerful. So Autopilot would be another one for uh, marketing automation, which I would really say is a, a really, really good tool for people to use. And I'm a super, super big fan of uh, Chrome extensions as well. Yeah. So I have a ton of Chrome extensions. My favorite, you know, one of my favorite tools, which I recommend all businesses to use is definitely LastPass. It's my password mm -hmm. management tool. It's how I manage passwords across my team. It's how I let people yeah. get passwords for all the tools. LastPass is absolutely amazing. So I uh, highly recommend that. And those are some of the top ones that I can recommend. I mean, I could probably go on for a half an hour, an hour in regards to just crazy tools out there. <laughs> yeah, actually, one that I've discovered recently is called Remove Friends, which is a Chrome plugin. And it's amazing because you can actually go into your Facebook account and you can track how many, uh, well, whether people are actually liking your posts, commenting on them whether they in fact they've been active at all on your account and if they if they haven't been then you can remove them using the app so that's a pretty pretty cool one that i've discovered only today like that. Uh, oh it's good that's yeah awesome. <laughs> i love yeah. that i love your new tools any other cool tools you know of i mean like that's my biggest thing in life is knowing tools Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I can't think of, I mean, look, I love apps as well, but I'm probably, you know, I'm, I'm not like a big, big tech person, but I'll tell you what, I will keep you posted. Definitely. But that remove yeah, friends, that's you. a good one. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit like kind of spying on people as well. I think that's the thing that I like about it because all these people are masquerading as your friends, but they're actually just consuming your content without really participating. So I, that's yeah. the thing that I like about that. 
Okay. Yeah. So, so let's talk about AI because I know AI is really big in marketing and I know that there are tools coming out. I've been noticing on my Facebook feed that there are these things like Jarvis that are, are actually yeah. helping people put together social media content. And the people that I speak to tend to be a bit conflicted about this because I think they're worried that it's going to, it's not going to, they, we're all used to producing our own content and actually having to be quite inventive and putting our own unique spin on things, I think, as as creators, as podcasters, as people who are active on social media, entrepreneurs, whatever. So I think there seems to be, amongst my community, a bit of resistance to some of these tools. And I just wonder what you thought about these kind of AI-driven apps that are actually helping people create content, for example. Like yeah, you, you know, I think it's it, it, they're extremely, extremely powerful, and it's really, really helpful, especially for a small business, right? A lot of these AI tools, like the one that Autopilot is integrated in their tool, their they, their whole purpose is to give it to small businesses, right? So I think that's super, super helpful because it's hard for a small business to compete against these big brands when these big brands have yeah. massive budgets. So. Just being yeah. able to have access to that AI, I think, is really, really good. Yeah. There is obviously, you have to be cautious with it. You need to review what it is doing. And the whole yeah. reason why is because at the end of the day, the artificial intelligence objective is to get engagement and to, of course, get feedback. And, you know, I'm not yeah. going to uh, throw any companies I know under the bus, but artificial intelligence also has a tendency to be racist, right? And it's not because it wants to be. It's because it's only going towards where certain things are driving it. So you have to be oh. very, very conscious with mm -hmm. artificial intelligence because it doesn't know the difference between right or wrong. It has no concept of that. It only knows yeah. this gets clicks, this doesn't get clicks. And sometimes yeah. the things that go super viral that it pulls in is its stuff are things that are not good. And sometimes the inputs that it gets are not always great. So you have to be very, very conscious of what you're doing because it might use a wording that you would never use, but could be manipulated or to be seen as bad. So I think it has a lot of superpowers to one, the big enterprises have been using it for a long time, but it's going to add a lot of power to the small businesses who are able to effectively use it. But we also have to be really, really cautious with how it's, it's rolled out. And we just kind of need to make sure that we review and approve what it's doing sometimes because sometimes it's going to lean yeah. in the wrong direction yeah that's a really interesting point and i think review approve all of those things really it matters throughout as you said the whole tech stack doesn't it because because it's very very easy i think obviously i've got a funnel i know at times and, and i've seen this with other people that if you don't keep a really really close eye on things because it is if you like the interface with your customer that if you're if you're over communicating in a way that they interpret to be quite maybe a little bit pushy, they can really get turned off. And a lot of the time, it's really just actually not managing, not reviewing that experience from a, a customer perspective. It's it's hard to get it right sometimes, isn't it? I think particularly for smaller businesses. Oh yeah, I mean it's. I mean it's hard for everybody. I mean even the bigger yeah. businesses. It doesn't matter what business you are, you have problems, right? They just the problems yeah. change, and that's the yeah. the thing that I always try to help people understand is like no matter what, it's gonna you're gonna have problems, right? Your problems are just gonna be different, and as you grow bigger, the problems just get bigger. So you, you have to make sure that you keep your thumb on a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. So one of the discussions that I had with actually one of my mentors, a guy called Rob Moore, not so long ago, was about these AI influencers on Instagram. There, there was, uh, I can't remember the name of, of one of them, but 
she's actually built a huge following and she's not even a real person. Do you think that that is the way that 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 is where marketing technology is going in terms of influencers and creators and so on? Do you think we're going to see more and more and more of these AI figureheads, leaders, influencers? What do you think sure. about that? Absolutely. I mean, I think AI, I mean, I think the, the big worry that we have with artificial intelligence, right, is that it's, it's artificial and it's intelligent, right? So yeah. over time, as it gets smarter and smarter and smarter, it's going to do what it wants, right? So I definitely think you're going to see more influencers um, out there. One, even influencers that we know that are humans, they're going to start leveraging AI if they're not already leveraging AI to help increase their game. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, like it can do work for us. And that's, that's really a superpower. Uh, it's smarter than us. It's able to be more creative than us. It's able to process more data than us. So I, I definitely see it's going to be used more and more and more over time. And, you know, I am worried about the next five years of in regards to AI because it, it's going to become smarter than us by a long shot. And if we don't have good regulation in place to help control it or limit artificial intelligence, it's really going to wreak some havoc. It's going to cause issues not just on influencer marketing and in marketing in general, but it's going to be able to cause havoc elsewhere. So it's going to be used in tons and tons of applications. So it's not going to slow down by any means. Yeah. So let's talk about this havoc. What could this havoc actually look like? Because it sounds pretty sinister when you put it that way. And in fact, I know that some people think they are genuinely worried, perhaps as you are, that you know the world is slipping away and that somehow this is this is something that is going to be so smart that we're all going to end up being basically puppets with these AI puppet masters. So what's your specific concern around around AI? Oh. Yeah, you know, a really good question. You know, I, I don't think the matrix is anytime soon, right? We'll just put it that way, right? I don't think that that's going to happen anytime uh, soon. If anything, the robots won't need us. I don't know why they would keep us in the first place. But um <laughs> It's definitely the Elon Musk was talking about this just about a month ago that like the, the AI is really, really smart. It's smarter than us. And what we have to understand is that eventually here, it's going to start coming up with its own thoughts. It's going to want to come up with its own objectives because we, we haven't put blockers in place of it being able to do that. And there are situations where AI has gone a little awry and done whatever it wanted to do. We just have to be very, very cautious of what that looks like, because there is going to be times where the artificial intelligence, the stuff you see in the movies, right? I just watched Space Jam with LeBron James and the artificial intelligence, right, ended up doing something in the real world and had its own ego. We're not far from that, right? We are are not far from it being able to have its own kind of thoughts and thinking things on its own. It's not going to have emotion like us, of course, but it can fake that. And that's the thing that we don't understand is that if it can learn, if it can perceive something and it can make an intelligent action about it, that means that it can create that as a part of itself. So while we have emotions and we feel those emotions, we have to remember at the end of the day, we're still data, right? Our DNA sequence has been figured out to the point of data, to the point of where we can change it. So it's not going to be far before AI is able to mimic or copy our emotions. And then just it's running a program and that's how it's making itself feel. So once it starts to get to that point, you know, it's going to start having an impact on whether it leaves its environment and what it does in those other environments. Does it have a necessary need to gain control of things or shut things down, infect other things? And that's where, depending upon who's building the AI, right? And I'm not going to, I mean, I can pick on Russia here for all their hackers that they always come up, but there's hackers in China, there's hackers in Australia, there's hackers everywhere, right? Um, Yeah. 
it all comes down to who's building that and then what the intention they designed it for and what it can go do. So that's what we just don't really know yet. Is somebody going to design one which can go shut down all of our computers, shut down electric plants, shut down dams? We just don't know. The world is still a very big place and you know we haven't experienced it yet. Yeah, so that thought is going to make some people feel, oh no, you know, we're just coming out of COVID and now we've got all these kind of crazy wild AI robots that we've got to be scared about. So do you think that legislation, you talked about legislation, do you think there will have to be very robust legislation to actually counteract the power of that? For sure. I definitely think um, there'll be regulation and legislation. I know there's already things that are in flight to kind of help with that, but I definitely think that we'll be able to combat it. I mean, come on. I At the end of the day, I think we have bigger worries in regards to climate change than AI right now. I think people should more focus on climate change than AI. I mean, the United Nations just basically released a study saying like, listen, we're kind of screwed. So like you guys need to either start doing something or not. So I, you know, I'm more worried about things like that than I am the artificial intelligence at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, so we have an audience here of solopreneurs, um, startups, early stage business owners. So what advice would you give to them based on your uh, decades of experience? You started young, uh, you failed, you've succeeded, you've, you've had some amazing um, experiences along the way. If somebody turned around and said, okay, what, what's your best piece of advice? What, what would you say, Dan? Talk to your customers more. The biggest thing that I see as a failure, especially in tech startups, is they're so focused on trying to raise funding or build a product that is viral, and they forget that they have customers that they should be talking to. You know, one of my businesses, which is not successful, you know, we didn't know if the business was going to be successful because the, we were building uh, Facebook fan pages, but we were building custom applications inside of Facebook. And this is 10 years ago when Facebook was like blowing at the seams, maybe yeah. 12 years ago, I can't remember now. But we didn't know if the idea was going to be successful. We didn't know how to necessarily test that. And this was a software that was being sold online. But I went door to door to 100 or so businesses in Orlando, and I went with flyers and I tried to pitch the idea to gain feedback. And I would ask a lot of questions around like, well, why? what are you doing now for social media marketing? How are you managing your customers on social media? What is the impression that your, your customers have of you? And by having those customer conversations and pitching our product, asking for a sale and getting a ton of no's, we learned so much about the market. We learned so much about what was going on. And I think yeah. people really forget that they can do that. They they try to get on a Zoom, which I still think is good, but they try to like only do surveys on their website. And it's like, you need to do customer development calls. I mean, at UTM.io, one of my, my SaaS products, I talk to customers probably five, five hours a week, doing demos, asking questions, trying to gain feedback. What features would you like? And I think a lot of people just kind of miss that. You really need to talk to your customer and understand their needs because the business is not about you. The business is about them. And people yes. typically get that backwards. They're building a business because it, it's for them. And it's like, nobody gives a shit about your problem. Your baby's ugly. Get over it. Go talk to your customers <laughs> and figure it out. <laughs> That's great advice. So, Dan, what's next for you, do you think, over the next uh, three to five years? Have you got a vision or are you just enjoying it, life as it comes? Or, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I definitely am very, very organic in how things work. So I definitely, I have a vision, but I also try to be as organic as possible. You know, the next five years is going to be really, really stressful. We're looking to grow at 100% year over year revenue growth, which we did. We did 50% revenue growth from 2020 to 2021, 2021 to 2022. We're looking at 100% revenue growth already. So we're doing really, really good. So it's going to be a lot of hiring, a lot of recruiting, building out the team. We are looking to build Maga.io into the next Deloitte or PwC, big consulting firm. So we are definitely going in that direction. So it's going to be a lot of fun, but it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of hustle. I'm going to get some wrinkles out of it for sure. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. So is acquisition on the agenda for you? Because obviously that's a fast way to grow. So are you looking to acquire? Yeah, so we're definitely always looking to acquire other companies. So we actually acquired a consulting firm last year, Bard Analytics, and we acquired that firm to help build out our business intelligence unit. We're still looking for additional companies to acquire. We were just in negotiations with another acquiring a software company. Unfortunately, the deal didn't make sense. We definitely uh, see a lot of companies out there to acquire. We say no a lot. I think founders, you know, everybody wants to get a, 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 a huge exit and a multiple. And it's like, listen, when your business is failing, you got to remember that you, you're not going to get 3x revenue, you're going to get half of revenue or a quarter of revenue because your business is failing. So but yeah, I'm always looking for businesses to acquire. So if anybody has anything that they'd like to sell, I don't care what vertical it's in. It doesn't have to be tech. I love brick and mortar as well. I've been trying to buy a bagel shop for about two years, but haven't found the right one. So yeah, always looking at cool stuff. If, if you have something, a, a business that you're interested in selling, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm on there as Dan McGott. You can easily find me and send me a LinkedIn message. Amazing. So are you looking at businesses in Europe as well as the US? Yeah, depending upon what the, the company, if it was a company in Europe, we'd definitely be looking to acquire a software just because we could manage that from anywhere. We wouldn't yes. be trying to do anything brick and mortar. But yeah, we don't we we don't care where it is. We have team all around the world as well. So I mean, I have everybody from Turkey to Ukraine to China, like so we don't really discriminate. Yeah. So how many countries in the world would you say that you're in then? Um, I mean, I know that I this is probably, obviously, yeah. So, yeah, it's not exactly something that I track, but I think we're in seven or eight countries right yeah. now. So, and that's just, we have a team member there who works out of that country. We don't, we don't care where talent is. We care that talent is good and that's our model. So the only the only countries which are really, really hard to work with are going to be China and Australia for us. And it's just because the time zone difference, like they go to bed when yeah. we're waking up and vice versa. Yeah. So yeah. more people are going to be in Europe, Eastern European. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to speak to you today, Dan. Now you've got uh, a little giveaway that you'd like to offer our audience, haven't you? So would you like to tell them about that? Yeah, and thanks so much for reminding me. Uh, so I wrote the book, Build Cool Shit. It's your uh, modern blueprint to how do you build a marketing tech stack. Really, really good, easy read. If people want, what I'd love you to do is pull out your cell phone and you're going to text this number a word and then you'll be able to get a free copy. So if you're not in the States, you're going to have to add one to this. But in the United States, it's just put in the number 415-915-9011. So I'll say that number again. The phone number is 415 415- 915-9011. If you're not in the US, add a one to that in the beginning. If you text that number and you text the word MarTech to it, M-A-R-T-E-C-H, you'll actually experience one of our company's text bots, which will collect all of your information. So that way you can get a free copy of my book. So definitely check it out. It does require shipping costs for out of the United States. So definitely be aware of that. We will ship the, a hard copy to you, but you will have to pay the shipping. But definitely a, a great opportunity to get a free copy of my book. The book retails at $22. So super worth it.
Amazing. And we'll put that in the show notes as well, Dan. So thank you so much again for joining us. It's been a really amazing interview and really look forward to releasing it and sharing all your wisdom and amazing insights with our audience. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to rate and review my podcast as it will help me bring the power of connection to the world. I work one-to-one to help entrepreneurs ignite the power of authentic connection in their businesses and lives. I also help them accelerate their results through attracting and converting more of their ideal clients. And if this is something you'd like to do too, why not head on over to www.idealclientsuccess.com masterclass and I'll show you how.